With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. I am here for the third and final day of the World Ag Expo 2023, taking care of ag business on the grounds of the International Agri Center in my hometown, Tulare. It's been such a great show so far, so if you haven't been able to make it out here, make sure to go visit that World Ag Expo website, take a look at the schedule of events, and see if there's anything that you might like to see, including the top 10 new products, any of the seminars for the final day today, Or just get out here to make some networking connections with other ag professionals and possibly do some business transactions. Again, if you'd like to find out more information on the World Ag Expo, you can visit their website, worldagexpo.com. And now let's get into today's show headlines. California ranks fourth out of the nation for most H-2A workers used. Labor availability is becoming more of an issue for producers across the state. Anna Genesee with Stanislaus County Farm Bureau says California producers are utilizing the H-2A visa program to fill those gaps. Uh, turns out um, California is in the top 10 U.S. states utilizing H-2A workers. They're coming in at number four. Um, this data that I'm looking at is from the Department of Labor 2020, and it's Via that uh, information, they are showing 25,000 workers in California were utilized. Jim Austin, CFO of Birchall Nurseries, speaks to the need for the program. We're really being forced to because over the last, I'm going to say five years, maybe um, a longer trend than that. I've, I've been in this industry now for 10 years, but we've, over my tenure here, it's uh, we've seen our difficulty in finding labor become ever more acute. And it's it's a problem that's growing, not stabilizing or diminishing. And now here's Brian German with more agriculture news. The Landflex grant program is moving forward with the selection process next week. CEO of Western United Dairies, Anya Radabas, said that after months of making sure there was good understanding between policymakers and industry members, the Landflex program is moving ahead. The program is uh, announcing the winners of the GSA selection next Tuesday, February 21st, and we expect that the farmer portal will go live on Tuesday. It is a first come, first serve. So if you are a farmer in one of these selected GSAs, we encourage you to take a look at this program, apply for it. And in the meantime, you can go to landflex.org and make sure you can learn more about what's in it, what's involved, what you'd be giving up, what you'd be getting in exchange. It's working out to be about 6,500 to $7,800 an acre, but there are some caveats that significantly separate this from other following programs. Out and about with Agnet West, UC Cooperative Extension is hosting the annual South Sacramento Valley Prune Meeting next week in Yuba City. The meeting will begin at 8 in the morning at the Sutter County Ag Department meeting room on Wednesday, February 22nd. Tree Crop Farm Advisor Franz Niederholzer will begin the meeting with a presentation on factors affecting final prune fruit size. Other topics of discussion include updates on mechanical hedging in prunes, along with bark canker management in orchards. After the morning break, Orchard Systems Advisor Luke Milliron will be presenting information on UC prune rootstock trials. There will also be an update on potential new prune cultivars from UC Davis, an update from the California Prune Board, as well as presentations on prune flower, fruit, and foliage disease management. The meeting will conclude with a regulatory update from the Ag Commissioner's offices of Sutter and Yuba counties. 
More information on the meeting is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, House lawmakers last week reintroduced the Farm Act, also known as the Future Agriculture Retention and Management Act. Republican Representative Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin says the legislation would eliminate energy tax subsidies for solar panels and wind arrays on agricultural lands. This idea was generated by a local farmer in western Wisconsin who came to me and said, hey, these really rich subsidies that the federal government is putting out is causing farmers to say, we're going to go to wind and solar rather than growing food. And I don't think that's a good public policy for Americans to have these rich subsidies that are paid for by the taxpayers, go to wealthy developers, and it sidelines productive agricultural land. We need to be growing as much food as we possibly can. Take a look at the grocery stores these days of the uh, price of food. It continues to go up. You look at some other countries that are having a hard time feeding their population. Under the legislation, wind and solar developers will not receive subsidies if they remove agricultural land from production. So you can build it if you want to. You just don't get the subsidies. It's $50,000 an acre, the subsidy. So you have this artificial means that is incentivizing farmers to make a decision that I don't think is in the best interests of our country. So you can do these if you want to under our bill. You just don't get the subsidy. And as a result of the subsidy going away, most of those facilities would go away. According to the Department of Agriculture, since 2014, U.S. farmland acreage has decreased by more than 13.62 million acres, amounting to an average loss of more than 1.9 million acres per year. A USDA report on 2022 exports showed higher values and lower volumes than last year. Brian Keel, executive director of Farmers for Free Trade, called the results a double-edged sword. The inflation has driven up commodity prices, and a lot of that's been driven by the war in Ukraine and by the supply chain disruptions coming out of the pandemic. So the good news is we have been exporting more by value and in some sectors more by volume. But overall, I think the bind that farmers are in is that they're able to sell their product at a higher price, but their input costs have gone up so much. Looking ahead to the rest of 2023, trade results may look a little different from last year. 
they are projecting for 2023 a trade deficit in food and ag. And it's not a huge trade deficit, but I think any trade deficit should be troubling for us. I mean, until 2019, the U.S. consistently ran trade surpluses. And now we're starting to see this pop up where we're, we're running a trade deficit in food and ag. I think part of that is because we're not pushing to open new markets. Other countries are, are executing trade deals and, and the U.S. is seeing its long-term position erode. He talks about some of the important priorities at Farmers for Free Trade in 2023. Number one, the administration's putting a lot of weight behind its Indo-Pacific economic framework, which is a framework for the Indo-Pacific area where that focuses on things like corruption, non-tariff barriers to trade. It has a number of really important things embedded in it. We'd like to see that framework used to really promote market access with the participants in that framework. So really address tariffs and look at enforceable provisions on phyto sanitary standards. In addition to tuning up the framework, the organization has a couple of other big priorities for overseas trade. Number two is standalone free trade agreements. We think we could be doing a free trade agreement with the UK, with Kenya, both of which were started under the Trump administration. And so there's work that's been done. And number three is mini deals. That's short of a full free trade agreement. A mini deal can address a commodity or a couple of commodities. And the Biden administration, to their credit, they've pushed for pork access into Vietnam is a good example. Let's do more of that. Let's look for opportunities where we can help our apple producers or our almond growers or our pork or dairy. Let's look for places where we can crack open markets, even if it's short of a full free trade agreement. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, the U.S. is again taking the dispute of Canada's dairy tariff rate quotas before a U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement or USMCA Dispute Settlement Panel. With more on that story, here's Rod Bain. The latest development in U.S. efforts to expand market access of our nation's dairy exports to Canada were recently announced. The United States Trade Representative has launched a second dispute panel request so that we can have a case in front of Canada that will lock them into the kind of market access that our dairy farmers deserve and expect. That's U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Agricultural Negotiator Doug McCaleb. By way of background about this ongoing case within the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement Framework. Under the USMCA, the government of Canada made commitments to our U.S. dairy farmers that they would have entry for their products into the Canadian market. However, really what the ensuing couple of years showed was that the Canadian government did not provide the access that our producers felt would be fair and equitable. That led to the initial U.S. request for a USMCA dispute settlement panel, leading to a December 2021 ruling favoring our nation in its challenge of Canada's dairy tariff rate quotas. Since then, Canada's implementation, once the U.S. won that case, still didn't provide the market access our farmers deserved. And essentially, they locked out importers that were actual retailers and actual sizable importers. As for how the dispute settlement process will work, We bring the case, our findings, and our documentation to the panel. The way these things operate, we would expect to have a response and a finding from the panel in 2023. So that will take place within this calendar year. And we're really focused on this case that's in front of us. We think that we have got very clear and solid backing for it. We think our dairy farmers are in a very solid position. Ambassador McCaleb is no stranger to the USMCA challenge to Canadian dairy policy. 
having worked on this issue as a senior advisor at USDA. He adds, We want to make sure that we get all the market access that our farmers deserve, and that includes dairy farmers, includes all farmers. So we are going to look at the tools we have. We're going to exercise those tools, and that's exactly what we're doing under this UMCA panel request on dairy. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. And the National Pork Producers Council recently released its latest pork industry economic update. It summarizes key pork industry market indicators through January of this year. Some of the takeaways include, after declining 2.5% last year, USDA is projecting growth in pork production for this year. They note that retail pork prices increased 1.5% from December of 2021 through December of 2022. And they also note the cost of raising pigs was record high last year, increasing 21% from the previous year. Learn more at nppc.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Celebrating National Almond Day. That's coming up on This Land of Hours. February 16th, today is National Almond Day. And to celebrate, we have some almond facts. California grows nearly 80% of the world's almonds. California is home to 7,600 almond farms, and 90% of those farms are family-owned. More than two decades of research shows almonds play a role in a heart-healthy diet. Scientific evidence also suggests that eating 1.5 ounces per day of most nuts as part of a diet low in saturated fat and cholesterol may reduce the risk of heart disease. Almonds are also good for the skin. They're rich in vitamin E. In fact, one serving of almonds contains 50% of the daily value of vitamin E. Vitamin E helps protect skin cells from the damaging effects of free radicals, which are caused by pollution, UV rays, and other factors. Almonds have 6 grams of protein and 4 grams of fiber, and among other nuts, they are one of the lowest in saturated fat. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. If IRS rules are closely followed, it's possible to claim a deduction for excess fertilizer supply when buying farmland. But what is the tax result if that land is later sold? I'll be back in a moment with the details. Kansas State University consistently ranks in the top 10 of all ag schools. 97% of K-State ag graduates are employed or furthering their education. Learn more at ag.ksu.edu. 
I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. When claiming a deduction for excess fertilizer supply, it's important to hire an agronomist to determine the amount of the excess fertility that is present in the ground at the time of purchase. The excess is then amortized based on the fertility's useful life. Usually about 60% is deducted in the first year, 30% in the second year, and the last 10% in the third year. The deduction can be a big one, maybe even exceeding 10% of the land's value. But what happens if that land is later sold? The amount of the selling price attributable to the excess fertility will be recaptured as ordinary income. It does not qualify for capital gain treatment. So if you sell farmland on which you had deducted, say, $1,000 per acre as excess soil fertility based on an agronomist analysis, $1,000 per acre will be reported as ordinary income. Any remaining gain will be taxed at capital gain rates. Of course, the one way to avoid ordinary income recapture is to die owning the property. That's not a popular choice, but if the land is sold before death, recapture will apply. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. The latest development in U.S. efforts to expand market access of our nation's dairy exports to Canada were recently announced. The United States Trade Representative has launched a second dispute panel request so that we can have a case in front of Canada that will lock them into the kind of market access that our dairy farmers deserve and expect. That's U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Agricultural Negotiator Doug McCaleb. By way of background about this ongoing case within the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement framework. Under the USMCA, the government of Canada made commitments to our U.S. dairy farmers that they would have entry for their products into the Canadian market. However, really what the ensuing couple of years showed was that the Canadian government did not provide the access that our producers felt would be fair and equitable. That led to the initial U.S. request for a USMCA dispute settlement panel, leading to a December 2021 ruling favoring our nation in its challenge of Canada's dairy tariff rate quotas. Since then, Canada's implementation, once the U.S. won that case, still didn't provide the market access our farmers deserved. And essentially, they locked out importers that were actual retailers and actual sizable importers. As for how the dispute settlement process will work, we bring the case, our findings, and our documentation to the panel. The way these things operate, we would expect to have a response and a finding from the panel in 2023. So that will take place within this calendar year. And we're really focused on this case that's in front of us. We think that we have got very clear and solid backing for it. We think our dairy farmers are in a very solid position. Ambassador McCaleb is no stranger to the USMCA challenge to Canadian dairy policy having worked on this issue as a senior advisor at USDA. He adds, We want to make sure that we get all the market access that our farmers deserve, and that includes dairy farmers, includes all farmers. So we are going to look at the tools we have. We're going to exercise those tools, and that's exactly what we're doing under this UMCA panel request on dairy. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. May soybeans have tried three times to establish new highs above that 1545 level since New Year's. They've fallen short each time, most recently this past Monday. New crop November beans are the second highest ever for this time in February. Soybean crush data yesterday was certainly supportive. There are new plants coming online and some existing plants that continue to expand their capacity. So, a function of the market, many analysts say, to attract enough acres of soybeans to meet that demand of the new crushers coming online. Mexico has softened its stance on banning GMO corn imports from the U.S. In fact, scrapping a deadline for corn meant for animals and manufactured products. We still like December above the $6 level, but 605-610 will be quick resistance as it does move higher. AgriLiquid will be at upcoming Commodity Classic in early March. Look for them at the trade show, booth number 2749-2749. AgriLiquid at Commodity Classic. John Deere reporting their quarterly earnings tomorrow, while Elanco Company coming next Tuesday. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Another round of active weather is expected nationwide this week. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says two storms are expected. We've got one that is currently affecting the Pacific Northwest, a second one that is beginning to get organized over the Southwest. Those two storms combined will keep things very active across much of the country, at least through the remainder of the week. Low elevation snow in the Pacific Northwest should continue with the northern system, treks across the northern plains and upper Midwest. The main concern is that we're going to see a lot of wind with this system. That could lead to blizzard conditions. The southern system will also bring snowfall across the four quarter states and central plains. We are expecting some drought relief in places like Kansas, Nebraska, and possibly as far south as Oklahoma and also into Colorado. Yet it will also bring severe thunderstorms across the south by midweek. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Preventing farm equipment incidents from happening on your operation. Ashley Sturgill with Zenith, who focuses on workers' compensation, often does on-farm inspections to make sure those operating farm equipment are doing so properly. She says accidents are preventable and farm equipment safety management protocols on your operation should be written down and easily accessible. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I encourage people to have this as a written program. Your farm equipment safety management should be written down because it does provide that consistency. It doesn't leave when the person with the most knowledge may leave your company or move on to another position. It stays with the company and then we can build on that. Of course, we want to acknowledge that things change all the time. So we don't want to get stuck in the rut of, oh, it's always been this way. We're only going to train to that. As we learn things, as we do our incident investigations, we may learn things and be able to adapt that new information to that training. So there is consistency, but also the ability to adapt to what we're learning as we go. Before mass telemarketing technology and before computers and cell phones, you could meet a person and possibly get some clues that maybe he or she was a scam artist, like the one that classic comedian Jack Benny would encounter at the racetrack, or in this case, at a restaurant at the racetrack. And I'll teach you at number one. Table number one, thank you. Hey, bud. Huh? You gonna eat here? Yeah. What table? Table one. Uh-uh. Take number nine. Why, what's wrong with table one? Bad position, it's on the rail. Now look at the breeding on table number nine. The breeding? It's by Bite's Eye Maple out of Grand Rapids. Uh, definitely a scammer played for laughs there. But when you are scammed for real, it is not a laughing matter. And many times it starts simply with... Hopefully you have caller ID. And if so... Don't answer calls from unfamiliar numbers. No, that's Kansas State University Extension Educator Barbara Stockbrand. She says 65% of the complaints to the Federal Trade Commission concern telemarketing calls, and most all of the telemarketing centers are not even in this country. So they are out of the jurisdiction of our government. So Barbara says it's up to us to protect ourselves. And she says these call centers have technology to generate what are called spoof calls. They're rerouted so that they look like a local number. Scammers know that if it looks like a local number, their targets are more likely to answer those. I've gotten uh, actually marketing calls supposedly for my own phone number. That was weird. So best thing to do, don't answer. If you do answer, sometimes they will very nicely offer to take your phone number out of the list for future calls. That uh, sounds quite neighborly, but... Don't even consider this option. By taking the steps to opt out, you're confirming that there's someone on the other side of that phone that they have called, and that is something they're hoping for so that they can actually use that number to call your number again in the future or maybe even sell your number to other telemarketers. And Barbara says we call them telemarketers, but in most cases they aren't marketing any legitimate product. They're trying one way or another to get money out of us, and there are a million ways to do it. Someone calling from Social Security needing your personal information or confirming that. Or the IRS uh, with threats of arrest, possibly, if outstanding taxes aren't paid. A friend or a grandchild is in trouble and in need of money immediately. Vehicle warranties that are about to expire. Possibly an investment scam where money can be made quickly and easily by investing. So she says whatever the scam, it's designed to get either our money or our personal information. And indeed, those folks know how to do it. Scammers are masters of persuasion. They say whatever they can to gain your trust. They keep the pressure on, and they refuse to take no for an answer. So best thing, don't answer the call. Next best thing, hang up. Next time, we'll delve a little more into some of the sneakier scams out there. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. GMOs? Genetically engineered? Bioengineered? What's what? Well... GMO stands for Genetically Modified Organism. It's the common term many people use for foods created through a process scientists call genetic engineering. And you'll start seeing bioengineered on some food packages to let you know the product or some of its ingredients come from GMOs. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Today's specialty crop news brought to you by the Almond Board of California. You can find them online at almonds.com. Senior Specialist of Industry Communications for the Almond Board, Taylor Hillman, joins us once again this morning to discuss an upcoming event scheduled for next week. And now we've highlighted this a little bit before, and there have been some finalizations to the agenda that we will uh, get to in a minute. Uh, But first, Taylor, let's go over what this event is and where it will be taking place. Yeah, that's right, Brian. We've talked about this before, but this is the IPM and Naval Orange Worm Summit. This used to be the Naval Orange Worm Summit just by itself, um, which was done a couple of years ago. But now it'll include a lot more than just NOW management. Growers can get the latest information, research updates um, on top almond pests from the Almond Board of California and industry experts. The summit will take place the 21st at the Modesto Junior College Ag Pavilion in Modesto. It'll begin at 7.30 a.m. Lunch is included with registration and there's continuing education as well. And it'll run from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And so there's going to be a full day of important pest information now there from a variety of speakers. And that agenda has been solidified. So who will be presenting information as part of this summit? That's right. We, of course, will have naval orange worm topics in there. That is still a major pest to almonds. Uh, We will have kind of a what it costs to control and to not control naval orange worm. We're going to have Brittany Goodrich from UC Davis, Mel Machado, um, also some Uh, Industry members like Justin May, who's a PCA, who will be talking about IPM tools. Um, Jill Bauman and Abby Welch as well from a couple different companies. It'll be good information around naval orange worm. But added this year, you'll see some other pests up there like whole rot. We'll be covering biology symptoms and correct diagnosis of whole rot. Names that you would recognize would be Mohamed Yagmor from UC Cooperative Extension, Brent Holtz. Cameron Zuber, a lot of different names there as well. And then one of the things that we've heard over the last year or two in the almond industry that's having a big impact on crop is plant bugs. So that would be leaf-footed bug and brown marmorated stink bug. We're going to have a long panel with Lauren Fan from the Almond Board of California, who is the new IPM uh, specialist, and Kent Dana from UC Berkeley. They'll be talking about management tactics and pheromone identification for leaf-footed bugs, some of the research that it looks promising for growers in that aspect. 
Then we'll also have canker uh, identification, a big session on canker identification, uh, management after you do do a proper identification, and some case studies and perspectives. And a lot of different names there too that growers will recognize, including Florent Trulias and Brian Dugo. There's also a Q&A segment in that session so growers can get their questions answered. And then kind of wrapping it all up is looking at a year-end assessment of your IPM program, talking to growers, handlers, PCAs in a panel discussion on what they do at the end of the year to make sure that their IPM program is efficient as possible. You know, in tight years, growers need to be kind of watching where they put their money in and making sure they're getting the most out of that and evaluating their IPM program on a yearly basis is key. So listening to some industry members talk about that, I think, is very beneficial. And then finally, some regulatory issue updates with Gabrielle Ludwig from the Almond Board and also Brad Hansen, who's everybody knows is the weed specialist in California. So a lot of good information. Um, and like I said, a full day of education here. This isn't a half day. You can come and knock it all out in one day and get an update on a lot of different almond pests. So definitely sounds like a, a full day of information. And uh, with that, there's some education credits that will be available too, right? That's right. We've applied for um, four and a half units of continuing education for certified crop advisors. Those have been approved. So four and a half units of certified crop advisors, CCA, continuing education has already been approved. And then we have four full units for Department of Pesticide Regulation continuing education units are pending still. They're reviewing it. We hope to have it finalized, but that is at four units of DPR continuing education that should be available. Another thing we're going to have at the summit is there is going to be a small uh, trade show. So there will be some companies there that will have some of the technologies and some of the information that will be talked about during these uh, sessions at the summit. So the one nice thing about that we heard from growers is, you know, it would be nice to learn this information and then go have those conversations with companies. So. There is a small trade show. There will be some companies out there at the Modesto Junior Ag Pavilion that'll be able to talk about some of the um, technology that is available to growers, some of the tools that are out there, and growers can really get their questions answered specifically one-on-one -on -one with those vendors. And then we'll also uh, have Josette Lewis talking about uh, a look ahead of, of what new precision pest control technology might be coming down the road. So stuff that's not quite available yet, but definitely is in the pipeline and developing um, what looks promising, what has fizzled out, uh, kind of a look at what's going on. Very good. And so uh, some opportunity there to get some education hours and uh, a lot of helpful IPM information on a variety of topics. And now just lastly here, where can people go to uh, get signed up to attend? Yeah, again, it's it's February 21st. Uh, registration is open. It is, this is a free event. We do ask that people register um, so we can get an accurate head count for food and such purposes. Um, but you can find all the information online on a new web page that the Almond Board has created at almonds.com, and it's almonds.com slash summits. Um, there are four summits that the Almond Board is going to be doing in the future outside of the Almond Conference, and this IPM Naval Orange Worm Summit is one of them. So you can register today. Don't wait. 
Um, like I said, the headcount is important. You can register today at almonds.com slash summits. Thanks, Brian. And stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Butte with Canada over dairy TRQs continue. U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Ag Negotiator Doug McCallop discusses the history of a U.S. dispute with Canada's tariff rate quota policy, also known as TRQs, for dairy under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement. This is all about getting our dairy farmers in the United States a fair deal, making sure that they get the market access that they were promised under the USMCA. The government of Canada made commitments to our U.S. dairy farmers that they would have entry for their products into the Canadian market. However, really what the ensuing couple of years showed was that the Canadian government did not provide the access that our producers felt would be fair and equitable. So in December of 2021, the United States brought forward and we won a USMCA case over Canada's policies and their dairy tariff rate quotas. However, Canada's implementation, once the U.S. won that case, still didn't provide the market access our farmers deserved. Essentially, they locked out importers that were actual retailers and actual sizable importers. So what we have done, the United States Trade Representative, has launched a second dispute panel request so that we can have a case in front of the Canada government that will lock them into the kind of market access that our dairy farmers deserve and expect. A biological launched for early season plant growth. Verdesian Life Sciences recently announced a new biological enhancement liquid for all crops. Alkylade can increase root development and secondary lateral root systems, leading to increased nutrient uptake and higher yields. Kurt Sievers, Technical Development Manager, Seed Treatment and Inoculants for Verdesian Life Sciences, explains how biologicals like Alkylade work. Biologicals, they are considerably different than a lot of the other kinds of materials that we use in agriculture. We put these things into the environment in large numbers, hoping for an effect that we selected them for. And a lot of times there's the ability of these things to continue to grow once we add them to the environment. And that's one of the things that makes them desirable is they do tend to grow along with the plant in a lot of situations. Alkylate is a recent addition to Verdesian's biologicals and inoculate roster. Sievers explains what makes it different from Verdesian's current biological offerings. 
The nice thing about azosporoum, which is the active bacteria in the accolade product, it's a free living organism, which means that it doesn't necessarily have to inhabit a nodule like the rhizobia do. It's recognized as a nitrogen-fixing bacteria, and once the plant starts to utilize that nitrogen, we tend to see some things like increased root growth and can be applied either way, either on the seed directly or can be applied in the furrow. Seavers adds Alkalade helps corn plants get off to a strong start early in the growing season. One of the more important things when it comes to crop production is we've got to get that plant off to a good start. If we don't do that, then we're playing catch up the rest of the year. So with Accolade, we get that early season vigor because of that addition of nitrogen early in the season. And uh, that can be really helpful to us. Assuming Mother Nature provides what we need for the rest of the year, that early season vigor can turn into some increased yields for us. Seaver says you can find more information about Alkalade and other biological implements online, vlsci.com. And rounding out today's show with a California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News report, procedures to protect suckerfish frustrate Klamath farmers lacking water. After three years of drought and little to no water allocated to Klamath Basin farmers and ranchers, new temporary operating procedures for the Klamath Water Project are prioritizing protected fish over needs of agriculture. The Directive for Meeting Endangered Species Act requirements for suckerfish is increasing frustrations for irrigators. Despite recent rainfalls that boosted accumulated water to 100% of normal, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation said the Klamath Basin remains in a, quote, severe to extreme drought status. And that was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.